sponsored by the Dunleary Rattown Local Enterprise Office. You're listening to Business Eye on Dublin South FM. Happy Easter to everybody and welcome to Business Eye. Simon, how are you? How's, are you all set for Easter? Have you all set for uh, Easter eggs, I should say? Christmas eggs. 2025, I'm ready for. Yeah. 2025. Uh, no, it's, uh, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. It's a busy old week. And, you know, thankfully, they're germinating seeds of things starting to open. But are they opening quick enough? We'll get into all of that, Joe. We will indeed. We will indeed. Well, look, as I say to everyone, happy Easter. Um, as you say, it's one year on and we are still in lockdown with a promise of some light at the end of the tunnel. One year ago, lockdown was placed on us to flatten the curve. Or is it just flattening the economy? Churches, homeless, old and young, schools, nursing homes, business, mental health, financial problems, masks. Stay two metres apart. Stay home. Isolation. Doctors and scientists have been silenced for speaking out. Travel fear feeding, recession, and corruption. People are starting to see that things are not making sense, but why? The minority are fast becoming the majority. There's a tipping point. I was once told that people have to get angry for things to change, to get results. Anger, but not violence. Bad decisions. Unnecessary lockdown, in my opinion. How can we fix our country? How can we fix our economy? That's what I want to ask today. Simon, so who have we got to share the madness with us today? Well, that's a great introduction. And we have two uh, really strong, powerful guests. First up, we have Aidy McDave. I hope that pronounced, did I correct, pronounce that correct? Aidy McDorvey. McDorvey, okay. McDorvey. Welcome. And uh, so AD is a master goldsmith, uh, a jewelry business owner, and has worked in the US and China for many years. And China is interesting because I've done business. I lived in Australia for 10 years. And so um, I'm, I'm wondering if there are any current comparisons with China with what's happening in Ireland. And Ivor, Ivor Cummings uh, completed a chemical engineering degree at UCD in 1990. He's since spent over 25 years in corporate technical leadership and management and spent the last 12 months researching the COVID data and, uh, you know, just welcome Ivor. It's good to see you as well. And uh, from my perspective, you know, I've been saying increasingly, you know, it's not, of course, there is a virus, but for me, it's not the virus that, that has us in lockdown. It's government policy. And I can prove that because there are plenty of countries in the world who aren't in lockdown right now. So uh, that's my own personal view. It's government policy right now, not the virus. But over to you, Joe. <laughs> Everyone seems to be scratching their head. And the more people that we speak to on a daily basis because of within business, they are scratching their head. And a lot of people who who are, you know, we can talk about the suicide rates and we can talk about the effect that it's having on the economy as well. And even if you look at Brussels have now, there's been a, a court, the courts have said that they need to open up everything within the within the next 30 days. And my question to both of you, and I'll, I'll start with yourself, Ivor. In your opinion, how did this? How did we get to here? How did we get to here? 
Yeah, well, that's a good question. And a lot of people won't realize what the answer is. And basically, to put it bluntly, so in February 2020, Bruce Aylward of the WHO uh, was in China discussing their stuff with the authorities. And he had a press conference and he held up a chart and he showed the classic Gumpert's curve of the rise and fall of this disease. It's a flu-like illness. And uh, he pointed at the curve and said, uh, China made this curve turn down with their lockdowns. You know, it's fantastic. And everyone in the world needs to do this now. And the WHO and Tedros went with that. And then afterwards, Italy had a problem in their far north where they have profound metabolic issues in the aged and hospital capacity issues. And uh, we saw a lot of kind of dramatic images. Uh, and then that caused the UK to trigger. And we had Neil Ferguson at Imperial College, who was 10 times too high in his predictions of how many would die. Uh, and that helped things along. And the whole thing just collapsed. I mean, recently, Neil Ferguson, or late December, was in the British Times. And he said, we never thought we could act do this lockdown stuff in the West. But then Italy did it. And these are his words. And we realized we could, you know, very telling words. So basically a profoundly unscientific intervention, which was ruled out in the WHO uh, October 2019 extensive pandemic guidelines. It was ruled out in the Irish and UK guidelines. And they allowed for much higher death rates in the flu epidemic than we've seen but they still ruled out all of this isolation of healthy. Um, all of that science, 50 years, was flushed down the toilet and everyone went lockdown crazy. And then the narrative, of course, and I knew this would happen in April, the narrative had to say, look, the lockdown worked, even though it, the curve had seasonally collapsed in Europe by April, May last year. The narrative had to say we were right, it worked. And that's a political imperative. I mean, even if the guys themselves realized over time, okay, this is nonsense. We have lots of publications coming out showing in empirical data that the lockdown didn't really change the shape much. They can never admit it. And the rest is almost history. And if you add in a whole load of bad actors, international organizations who have massive vested interest in lockdown and PPE and medications and all that stuff, here we are a year later, three weeks to flatten the curve. Remember that? Three yeah, weeks but, to protect the hospitals. Where did that go? Here we are. It, you know, we can talk about the, the science of it, and we know that there's there's a parallel road here. One is on the science level side, and one is the political side. And it seems to be that all focus is on the political. Every decision that they made is on the political. And there's this science. Now, science, what is science? Science is there to show something and to test to prove it if it's right or wrong. But it's all like we seem to be just forgetting about this. And we seem to think that it's political and entertainment. Like if you look at a lot of the mainstream media and look at a lot of the shows, they've turned COVID, in my opinion, into entertainment and fear feeding. And then the political, when the Taoiseach or um, any, any, anyone in a political party stands up and they tell us this, some news, and they're grinning and smiling about it. And we're kind of going, hang on, are you so far removed from reality that you don't know what's going on in this country? Like, look at the, the big pay rises. And there's a disconnect between us it, I'd hate to say this, really, but there's a disconnect between us and them. And I'd never, I'd never, never, ever, ever thought I'd say that. Am I mad? Am I, I, am I mad? 
No, I, I mean, the disconnect has always been there. You know, we're a country that, Ireland has been a country that for, who can remember, we've just gone along and done our thing. We've had, we, we, we tend not to be oppressed, uh, you know, to, to fight back on anything. The only, the last time was the, ta- was the water taxes, water taxes. And, and, you know, the government's, the gov- what did the government do there? They, they labelled the people out on the marches as, uh, as jobs and unemployed. And they're doing the same tactic here. Anybody who voices an opinion on this that doesn't follow the narrative of the government is labelled, you name it, pick, pick one, far right, uh, tinfoil hat wearer, uh, unemployed job, uneducated. And so people, you know, that's what RT is feeding the people right now about these yeah. lockdowns. And it does seem true. to be, there does seem to be, and I can be a little bit objective because I'm, you know, I was born in England, although an Irish family, and, and I've lived in Australia, but there does seem to be, I'll choose my words carefully, a culture of opportunism right now in Ireland. And, and I'll give you an example. Um, you know, the CEO of the NHS in the UK recently took vol- self-volunteered a pay cut, right? And his salary, I think, is just over half of the, the, the salary of the head of the HSC in Ireland. Why? My question is, why is it half? Well, in terms of vilifying as well, I mean, this is classic propaganda. So I'm a World War II buff. You know, I've enormous amount of documentaries watched and books read. And it's just an absolute parallel in many ways. And there was a statement back then that always accuse or accuse your opponent of what you yourself are doing. So there's an enormous amount of gaslighting and yeah. vilification of anyone who's against the narrative. And you see that when the narrative has been set, everyone's invested in the narrative and the narrative is too big to fail. When you get there, you're going to see all of this kind of madness. So I've just watched it from afar for six months and it's astounding. The parallels with totalitarian regimes of the past are stunning. And I know people say, oh, you should never compare to say the Holocaust. I'm not comparing to the Holocaust. I'm comparing to the mechanisms in 1930s with how you subvert a population and get a big idea or a big lie and then maintain it and grow it until your people have turned to blancmange. Mm. It's been well played. They have well played. The churches are closed. The pubs are closed. And that's where dissent historically in Ireland has come from. You cut that away from people. They got nowhere. You can't meet. Everybody's afraid to meet. The propaganda of the bad element has succeeded there. Let me ask you a question. Let me me ask you a question. You decided to define the rules that were being implemented and you opened up your premises. What was the... when was that decision made and why? The decision was made uh, about six months ago, but I had to get the agreement of my wife. My wife is Chinese and she comes from that regime and she has friends that were involved in Tiananmen Square uh, who are in England now and their lives have been ruined. They can't see the family, they can't go back and anybody as well. So she did not want me to stick my head up above more. She just says, go, go, go on, do your thing, be quiet about it. You can sell online, you can do click and collect, people can come in to you. And, you know, we had, an, we had a back and forth of this until she was in agreement with me what's going on. Because if you don't make a stand, uh, it's just going to snowball. People, I have to, I, I couldn't take it anymore. My convictions were, I need to open this shop. And so I, I planned for it on March 20th, which was the one year anniversary that I closed and wasn't able to open again. 
when they gave us an opportunity there. What was it, in October or November? It was a short little window there they gave us. Because you had to have everything, you had to have the, 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 the Perspex shields up and the, the, the masks and everything. I just wasn't able to do that in the shops. More money to be spent for a couple of weeks window. But what made me open up was the fact that the, the, if, if I opened up, maybe some other people would follow me. Maybe other people in the town would do the same. And, and that's it. People said, I'm brave. I'm brave about what? I'm just trying to make a living. I'm just trying to make a living for my family. Have the shop. Oh, I close the door right now. The door is closed because we're doing this interview. And just before we started, there's people being people into me. So it was, it was, you know, it was based on, it was based on what Ivor said earlier as well. We, myself and my wife, we knew what had gone on in China and what had gone on with Imperial College. You know, Imperial College have, were visited by Xi Jinping. Uh, uh, he, I think it's the only college he went visited in England on a four-day trip. Uh, you know, that speaks, that's, that speaks, you know. We don't have RTE in the house as well, mostly because my kids are bilingual and they like to watch Chinese shows and my wife is Chinese, you know. So, and, I'm, and I've been in America for 15 years before the 10 years in China. And, and so it just happened that, you know, I think it probably, you know what, if I had been watching the news on RTE, I might have hesitated. I probably think I would have because of the way they've, they've hammered home the fear factor on this, you know? So, so, so when you opened up, what was the mood of people within the town? You know, were people yeah. sort of complaining or are you getting much support? And, and in the beginning, no, I was a murderer. I was going to kill people. I was going to kill old people. Uh, I give you a funny one. When I opened up, um, I thought I, I did think that you know I was going to be attacked. I certainly was attacked online and continue to be attacked online. I mean, I mean, I have to take a deep breath when I, I have to take a deep breath when I open up my laptop to go into Twitter <laughs> because oh my God, what's this going to be now? You know, I'm Hitler. I'm Hitler. But when I tell you a funny one, when I opened up, the first customer in was uh, was a middle-aged woman. She was petite, uh, and I say petite, and the reason why I know it was first of all that she was petite because she was wearing the the, the mask, the, the the medical mask, which covered her whole head. It was up, it was halfway up her eyes. It didn't even fit right. And she was standing at the door, and I, and I smiled and said hello. She wouldn't answer. She wouldn't look at me, and she took out of her pocket. It must have been like like this, this size, uh, uh, the gel, you know. The, the, the alcohol gel and she squeezed a big lump into her hands that was way too big and you know that stuff if it's way, it's never going to dry you're going to be rubbing it for, for like five minutes so there she was standing and she realised five minutes rubbing it in and I'm going oh here we go she, she, and you could see the anger in her you could see the anger in her and she was so angry she just says I suppose you're an anti-masker and I goes no, if you want to wear a mask in my shop, you can wear a mask. But has the and, mood has the mood changed within within the town as well? Is more people now supporting you? Yeah, Is there more I had a lot of people. In, I had a lot of people in in the beginning who were like that. They were coming in to take a look and, and to look down their nose at me. And and within the town, there was like a trouble. My neighbours wouldn't talk to me for a little bit. You know, he now talks to me, but not. He's not like I did. Some I'm the talk of the town here. I'm the talk of the town. Then, then I start getting support and I get a lot of people in, business people in, re retailers in. Uh, what was happening, what has been happening, even yesterday was the same thing. People coming in to wish me support, but telling me they're, they're doing click and collect. 
They're doing click and collect, which is, of course, against the government mandate as well. And, you know, I'm doing click and collect. And, and, I, and my answer to that is, so you're, that's a euphemism. Click and collect is a euphemism for I'm secretly open, but I'm not fighting back. You know, I've got a question. So I heard Pascal Donahue the other day on another radio channel talking about his grave concern that there are big groups of people gathering near where I live here in Milltown and along the canal and stuff. And he was talking about this, right? But I see them every day, you know, because I just I go for a walk and I see them and they're coming back every day and I don't see the guards moving them. Right. So there seems to be a disconnect. Politicians are saying this. People are still doing this. The guards aren't moving. Ivor, you're nodding. What, what does this all mean? Yeah, so I have I have some contacts there. Um, I checked, it was late last summer, um, with contact I have in the guards. And basically, I was told, well, what do you think? Because I was asking the question, the guards are smart. They're investigative people. They're analytical minds, generally. And they've been around the block. So I said, there's no way they can have fallen for this uh, craziness. And sure enough, the answer was, well, not really, but it's a corporate system almost now. There's a new CEO from the north and the government mandate will be followed to the letter. And everyone knows that. So I think what you have is most of the guards knowing that this is crazy. I mean, I'd say a lot of the guards know. I give some figures, right? Across the world now, after a full year of a high R virus, that's literally everywhere, right? And we know the lockdowns and masks did bugger all. So it's all over the place. There's around one in 3,000 people only that have passed. And that's with an average age around 80 with comorbidities mostly. You know, if you're under 50, it might be one in 50,000 chance you have of passing in that whole year, right? And to be honest, if you don't have comorbidities or issues, it could be one in a couple of hundred thousand. These basic numbers are irrefutable in Europe across the whole of Europe, there's less than one in a thousand people. Uh, Many countries much lower. This is the extent of the threat. It's a severe flu equivalent. Maybe it has better legs because of the way it's designed. But this is the reality. It is crazy to destroy your economies in the way we've done for that. The second thing is that We have good studies now that indicate strongly that if you suppress in the below 60s healthy people and you try and spancel or reduce community immunity, right, without mortality, you put granny at greater risk over the long term, right? So the people accusing us of putting granny at risk, the supreme irony is their following of the nonsense is putting granny at more risk. You know, so I could go on and I won't, but I, I just think it's so obvious now the mistake that's been made that many guards will just realize it, even if they're not very scientific. You know, another one I throw out is in Ireland last April, I was saying this to people in May, the Irish grocery workers indoors, no masks, indoors with a high R virus, eight, 10 hours a day, ultra non-lockdown with all the people, great unwashed coming in and out. But the store workers showed no signal for infection or certainly mortality. That alone shows you empirically, right, that the lockdown slash masks, along with all the published studies, hardly moved the needle. And yet they destroy our society and cause 
incredible suffering and long-term disastrous outcomes. So long-winded answer, but if people could just realize it's not the complex science that I go through that answers the question that this is profoundly wrong and unscientific. It's not all the complex stuff. Basic logic and empirical visual validation of data, simple stuff, also gives you the answer. So that begs the question, why does the government continue with a futile strategy when they know it? I mean, let's be honest with you. They are very knowledgeable. They'll have the best experts looking into this. What about Sweden? You know, they would have the numbers on Sweden. They would have all these numbers, yet they continue with this lockdown. Can you, Ivan, would you know why they were doing that? Why is that? Any ideas? I- I kind of alluded to it earlier in the in the genesis of this thing. Once it got to April or May and the whole world was copying each other and the West had fallen into anti-science, uh, the die was cast because there's no way you can begin to acknowledge maybe we were wrong on the effectiveness of lockdown because the price paid was too high. So it's unthinkable. So even the people who believed it at first in political world uh, and then they began to realize the enormity of the mistake, uh, they're trapped. They can never acknowledge the mistake. So everyone's trapped. Mm. A couple of things. One is I've always sort of wondered, Ivor, as as you said there, that, you know, everybody would flock to Dunstores or Aldi um, and none of the staff were getting sick. The second thing I know of a taxi driver who's who over the last year has calculated that he's had 5000 people in his cab over the whole year and he has never received. He's never got COVID on it as well. And then that opens up that why is our churches not open? Do you know, our, our religious services, which they are very far and few between that they actually, the amount of people that they actually get into churches because of what happened in the past. And the numbers in churches are reducing. We know that, but there's probably, and there's probably less people going into a church than Aldi. Okay. Or, and Way less. The, yeah. And yes. these, and these, these are closed as well. I want to sort of just look at our economy. And I want to look at, at lockdown. And we know that the building trade basically said to the government, no, we're not hanging on here. We need to open up now because what's happening in, in Ireland, people within the industry are going to England and they're going to the Middle East to work because they can't survive on the income, the pandemic payment that are getting here, which then is going to leave a bigger gap within the country. Sponsored by the Dunleary Rattown Local Enterprise Office. You're listening to Business Eye on Dublin South FM. Are we at a stage that we will be opened up in June and everyone's going brilliant, great? Will we be locked down for four weeks? And if that happens, I've had people who've said to me, no, no, I'm not putting up for that. I will ride this out to June and then I'm done. And then I'm done with it. How do we too, get our economy? How do we get our economy back? How do we get our economy back up and running? Do we need to do we need a new election? Do we need yeah. an election? Do we need to straight away? The first thing that we need to do. Yeah. People do not have to be brave with this. All you have to do is if you're if you're a business, retail business, open up your doors right now. Just do it. If if you're if you're a business, an essential business, like a whatever you're selling, an essential business. Take, take off the mask and take away all that paraphernalia, that, that medical theatre that we're, we're all under. And it is medical theatre. All people have to do is do what we did in the pre-revolution times when, when, when we were fighting the British. Non-violence, just do not consent and live your life as if that doesn't exist. Because if, if you do that, 
we're going to start opening up. We're never going to get back to tourist industry for a long time because, you know, that's that's absolutely dead. The fear in the world. I can't. No, it's, it's, in, it's, it's interesting. You know, I did my research. Ireland is the most locked down country in the EU and the yeah. fourth, I think it's now the third most locked down on planet Earth. Cuba, and there's a couple others I can't remember. So my big question, and, and you mentioned politics, I think, Joe, and I'm not going to get into politics because I don't care about politics. No, but yeah. but it's but it's interesting, right? The last remember the last election, who which was the party that got the majority national vote? It was Sinn Fein, right? And some people would say that maybe there was a bit of a uh, a convenient agreement between the two F parties, right? Is there probably is a concern in politics that if they have an election, it's going to go a different way, right? And so I guess my question is. How how is Ireland going to get out of this? How is Ireland, maybe I either? How is Ireland going to get it out? Will, of this? It will only <laughs> come from the people, uh, unfortunately. So my understanding of what I've observed to my horror is Sinn Fein are are proponents of all this as well. Yeah, uh, and you got to remember the politicians. You know, there's a natural selection of what careers you go into. Very technical people end up in certain careers. Uh, ending up in politics is. You know, you're going to be intend to be the least technical person in the universe. It's just the nature of the game, different side of the brain. So yeah. you can forget about the politicians. They will never grasp this. And the academia clearly have been lost into a yeah. profound group thing. So the whole political system now is a mess. So I, I don't think that's the place to go. Uh, it's the people. We've probably got 10 or 15% of people who know what we've been saying here, that is profoundly unscientific. Another 10 or 15% who largely know it, but aren't really certain and they keep their mouth shut. But it's still a sizable minority to start leading the way. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you go back to WHO October 2019 guidelines, I've got the link on my website. If we follow broadly what Sweden did, it's still more than is needed because of the science. But yeah. but at least it keeps your society functioning. Yeah, the economy people should be pushing for that. Yeah, but we're we're a, we're a small country with five million people, and I speak to people on the street. The mood has changed. I know that I the people changing. are we we know that barbers and hairdressers and we we all seem to go down the road to barbers and hairdressers you know these are the people that spent all the money got all the equipment in and then they were shut down but there's the other business as well like we we know that amazon is bringing 10 trucks in uh, a day to supply us with all our delivery we know that i've spoken i've spoken to some companies and they said they've busier now than they ever were before. And yeah. but the majority of businesses are kind of going, you know, oh, great, I'm I'm in my pod, yeah. you know, but I'm not having a life. So t the economy is not just about business. The economy is about joy. It's about us going out and having that coffee. So yeah. it will only end. I believe that, it, you know, it don't be a political broadcast because I don't, I'm not affiliated, to, you know, to any any party. It'll only end by grassroots. It'll only end yeah, when the citizens you know, say. What, what's no. happening across Ireland right now is a sign. What, what I did is a sign of it. There's, there are people like me all over this country. Because of what I did, I, I've been contacted by people and individuals, groups as well, non political, all over Ireland who are using me as a lightning rod uh, to come behind me. Now, I'm not political. I'm 
this, I'm just a guy who wants to open his shop, but they're sending me information that you should get in touch with this guy. You should see what this guy is doing. And I see, which would be different from the, the normal people who are watching RT, I see a grassroots campaign and an upsurge of people all over this country that are rising up. And I see yeah. it. It's pretty clear. And, but it's not organized, you know, and like we have said, it's new and everybody's on a different page and how far along they are in understanding what this but we're in a recession. agenda is, the government's agenda. You know, the word isn't spoke about in our papers. It's not, it's not mentioned on the media. We are in a recession and we are probably in the worst recession we've ever been in. And we're going, you know, we're going down deeply. The national debt of Ireland right now. What is this? 500 billion? It's the biggest per capita in the EU. The average yes, Irish person owes, I think it's, I can't remember the number. but 50,000. Yeah, and there's another, because I looked at it's the biggest in the EU, and also it's been the fastest growing debt in the EU in the yeah. last year. Yep. It's easy for the government to do that because it's not their well, money. Well, but, yeah, Leo, but, but Leo, is it, sorry, but Leo, is it a case, sorry, Ivor, is it a case that you could look at that and go, it's okay because before we were we were rapidly growing. Money is as cheap to buy now with very low interest rates. So if we get this money in, when we pick up, will things you know will we be able to do because we did it in in you know in the last two recessions? Well, Leo said a couple of months ago, I couldn't believe it. He basically made a comment on the media and just said, uh, it's no problem. We'll just roll on the debt. You know, money's cheap. We'll just roll it up for the future, yeah. which yeah. is stunning. It reminds me of McCreevy back before the uh, the collapse and the last thing. He said, oh, when I have money, I, I, I spend it. When I have it, I spend it. When I don't, I don't. Sure, who cares? Yeah. These people are holding the future of our children, the next generation, and they are squandering uh, increasing debt at colossal levels, they're not just, uh, it's not like a normal kind of recession. They're literally ransacking small businesses in the lifeblood of Ireland. That's being ransacked completely. Yeah. Hospitality. I mean, it's, vand it's vandalism. I just it's see. I it's see. vandalism. Yeah, it's I, not I, just, you know, recession. Deliberate. Yeah. I see, I see huge bottlenecks. I mean, just on the housing front, you know, I, I heard yesterday that, there are 15,000 houses for sale in Ireland, which is the lowest on record. 20 years ago, there were 53 on sale at any one time, 15,000. So there's no property really for people to buy, number one. Meanwhile, they wanted to build 25,000 houses this year. I think they're looking at 16,000. So meanwhile, the population's going up. So where's all this going? Like it's going to end up in one hell of a bottleneck. <laughs> well, the, the thing is that they're they're essentially destroying our societal infrastructure. Yeah. It's not just a hold or we just need to hold for a few weeks. That's clear. So against all logic and science, they are systematically dismantling our societal infrastructure. Small business is the lifeblood, not just of business in the country. It's the society itself. So yeah. everything is being destroyed. And the science clearly says the cost benefit of this intervention is at least 10 times again negative cost to benefit, possibly 50, 60, 70, if you include future suffering and death from lack of screening, depression, 
and many other negative health impacts. And it's saving almost nothing. We know from Florida opening up on the 25th of September, no mask mandates, all canceled, no lockdown. They are thriving ever since. And they've beaten similar states who are in hard, hard lockdown with 100% mask mandates. Same with Texas. Clear. Same with Texas. Yeah, same with Texas, Texas versus well. Texas. Yeah. 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 Oh, no. here's, here's the thing that people don't understand. If you watch mainstream media in Ireland, you are not going to hear that. That does not exist. Yeah. Sweden is, doesn't exist anymore. Neither yeah. does Florida or Texas. They poof disappeared on the world map. You, you know, you tell people, well, look at Sweden. And they go, well, what, what about Sweden? They don't know. They well, just don't Sweden. Know. A Swedish professor last month, it was covered in the media in Sweden, he did an analysis. The only measure you can use for pandemic impact is excess mortality over normal. They're the lowest third in Europe of excess mortality over normal, even though they didn't lock down, they have no masks. You know, Ireland, looking at the figures here on the screen in front of me, Ireland, the positivity rate had fallen by early March down to four. It was right down and it's kept falling down to 3.3 today. I mean, yeah. the, the curve has collapsed naturally as yeah. per the last millennium yeah. in similar epidemics. And when you look at the ICU, it's emptying out. It's not to do with lockdown. It, for the last few weeks, people have all been instinctively opening up. And we know it. We hear the traffic yeah. on the roads each morning. Yeah. We see the canals. Yeah. Yeah. They're all op- opening up, but the, the positivity Our- rate is stubbornly low. And what they want now is to open up many new testing centers to basically mine for cases, cases. Yeah, you know? yeah. They, they started doing that. That was that was last week. That that's uh, you yeah, know. But but here it is. Bring your kids. Bring your kids. Come on, it's all free. So it's so that so that data is going to be used just to show that to keep us in the lockdown to show the evidence that cases are up. And that's another thing. What is a case? Like what? What, what is a look, case? That's look. not a hospital admission. Admission. That's often those cases from PCR experts around the world have said that a, a, a case can often mean the person has no symptoms whatsoever, not even sick, probably even recovered. Look, it doesn't. Yeah. Look, we know cases, that. You know, we, we we've seen. We have seen that. You know. Coca-Cola has tested or a Kiwi has tested positive for it. But where's right. it all going? In my own my own opinion, I believe it's all going towards the financial system. You know, we, we know that just last night or the night before the quantum financial yeah. system kicked in yeah. um, or it has been tested. What people don't realize is that the quantum financial system has been running in China for about 10 years through yeah. AI. Yeah. And what I what I'm looking at now, there's two quantum financial systems. There's one which is a, an American one, and there's one a Chinese one. And and this is all to do with your credit rating. And we know if within China we can go, if you're good and you cross the road and you know you jaywalk, you get points taken off you. We know that uh, they, in China there is you know there is this state of state over religion we know that the state the people in china believe the state is a religion yeah um, that that is there a sort of a sense that and the chinese have been planning stuff for a very very long time the ccp for a very long time is it a case that this is some part of this is trickling in to our economy I'm going to throw it out there, what was happening, because for years we've just been printing money, 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 quantum of easing, quantum of easing, and it had to stop somewhere. When COVID came, they went, great, we've just got an opportunity to do what we wanted to do, and 10 years down the road, we can shove it now. 
Simon, I'm going to throw that to you. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, it's, it's interesting to see. It's funny, you know, I, I was never, I went along with this for about a year, right? And, and I, I just naively assumed that, you know, the government knew what they were doing. And, but I've lived in, I've worked in China and, and I'm listening to Iva and I'm thinking, the only way we can come out of this is if, is if people really just, as you said, AD, just quietly and carefully just kind of lead us out of this. Because I can't, I can't see how governments are going to do it. No. I can't see how they're going to do it now. Bravery. <laughs> are people getting brave? Step out there and open your shop. Just open your shop. Open your business. Take, take an apprentice. Get back to culinary arts. Go back to music. No, nobody. My daughter, she loves Irish music, traditional Irish music. There's an example. She hasn't had a lesson in a year. Like the guy she was learning from, she learns tin whistle. She, there's a place out here called the Shanaki. We'd all come together. It was just wonderful. That whole cultural thing is dead, and we need to get that back. And it's yeah. been kept now because of fear. Yeah, it's, again, ransacking vandalism is the only word you can use when it's unscientific. And you're absolutely right. People don't seem to realize they've taken away your small businesses. They've taken away your culture. They've taken away your mass if you're religious. They've taken away your cup of coffee, your restaurants, your pubs. They've taken away your freedom, your inalienable right to travel has been taken away down to five kilometers, which is just risable, et cetera, et cetera. Everything's been taken away for a disease that currently after a whole year in the world, one in 3,000 people have passed at an average age around 80. And I think that the elderly, if they were properly informed, you know, they would say not in my name. Yeah. If they knew the figures that I know and we know, and they looked at it and realized that in this winter wave, in early March, the mortality was right down to normal. And it wasn't actually much extra mortality over 18, 17, 18 season. I mean, it's only a few hundred people on, on the RIP charts. If they knew the reality, they would say, I'm heading towards the grave. And, and you're ransacking my world as I leave it. My children, my grandchildren, you're taking everything away and destroying it. Just as I check out in my name, you're doing now. They would have to understand the data to be able to say that. But if they understood it and they weren't propagandized for a full year, they would say that unless they're evil. Unless they're evil, they would, as a group, say that. The one thing that I, I want to just make it make a statement is people need to start talking. People need to start talking. The only way it, that, you know, lockdown and distance have stopped people communicating. Masks have stopped people communicating. Yeah. People need to start talking again. And when people start talking again, we will figure this out. There is multiple groups online. There's multiple people chatting and this is happening. And the more the people yeah. talk, the more people will, will awaken on it. Yeah. So, on just on that note, Simon, I know you have to fly. Wow. Guys, give me what your thoughts will be and how we can fix this moving forward. Ivor, start with yourself. Okay, so I'll uh, restate around one in 3,000 people passed uh, with this disease. It's a severe flu equivalent approximately across the whole world and uh, very advanced age generally and comorbidities. We have overreacted enormously. The lockdown science shows it doesn't function. It's very ineffective. And the cost benefit of lockdown and 
mass policies are probably 50 to one in the negative against. Uh, the other thing I'd say is if we wanted to try and test and trace, even though 2019 WHO guidelines says no point once it's entered a country, there's no point test and tracing. But if we wanted to, rapid antigen tests, uh, they're around 25 times better than doing no testing. PCR is maybe 30 times better than doing no testing. In other words, they're essentially the same. Rapid antigen is $10. It's a, it takes a few minutes and you could open up all our businesses, all our workplaces, all our travel with simple rapid antigen or repeated rapid antigen simple tests. And that's being suppressed. So that would open up everything. I would say you don't even really need that. You just need to follow the 2019 WHO guidelines uh, with washing your hands, keeping some reasonable distance and shielding the susceptible, which is a no-brainer. Yeah. Exactly. And my, my, my thoughts on this is, I, I'll, I'll, I'll just say this, if people could just go outside and open up, open up your shops, open up your business. If you're in a sen if, if you're an essential business, get rid of all, all that medi medical theater that you're using there with the with the perspex on the on, on the on the counters and things like that. Everybody needs to just open up. Simply put, it's not you don't even have to be brave to do it. Just just open up and ignore this government mandate, which has been proven by every scientist in the field to be wrong and futile. Yet we still continue, the government still continues to follow a plan which doesn't work. And you have to ask the question, they know this, why? Why? Is this not about the virus or is it about something else? That's it. And yes, folks, that brings up a question. Are you, you know, lateral thinking or core thinking? Lateral thinking. Don't accept everything at face value and ask questions. Core thinking, accept everything at face values and go along whatever you've been told. This, this year, in 1916, 1,200 volunteers went into Dublin and changed the course of history. It is Easter weekend. Jesus also teaches us two things in life, love or fear. Fear is where we sit at the moment and love is where we all should be, raising that vibration. Today, as it is Friday, have a super Easter weekend. I want you to maybe be a lateral thinker about what we've discussed in this show and start talking to other people because the more people that talk, the more people that open up and the more people that question, the, the better we'll be able to get out of this BS hole that we're in. Until next week on Business Eye, God bless and take care. Oblok Naherin, the provisional government of the Irish Republic to the people of Ireland. Irish men and Irish women, in the name of God and of the dead generations from which she receives her old tradition of nationhood, Ireland, through us, summons her children to her flag and strikes for her freedom. Having organised and trained her manhood, through her secret revolutionary organization, the Irish Republican Brotherhood, and through her open military organizations, the Irish Volunteers and the Irish Citizen Army, having patiently perfected her discipline, having resolutely waited for the right moment to reveal itself, she now seizes that moment. And supported by her exiled children in America and by gallant allies in Europe, but relying in the first 
on her own strength, she strikes in full confidence of victory. We declare the right of the people of Ireland to the ownership of Ireland and to the unfettered control of Irish destinies to be sovereign and indefeasible. The long usurpation of that right by a foreign people and government has not extinguished the right, nor can it ever be extinguished except by the destruction of the Irish people. In every generation, the Irish people have asserted their right to national freedom and sovereignty. Six times during the past 300 years, they have asserted it in arms. Standing on that fundamental right and again declaring it in arms in the face of the world, we hereby proclaim the Irish Republic as a sovereign, independent state, and we pledge our lives and the lives of our comrades in arms to the cause of its freedom, of its welfare, and of its exaltation among the nations. The Irish Republic is entitled to and hereby claims the allegiance of every Irish man and Irish woman. The Republic guarantees religious and civil liberty, equal rights and equal opportunities to all its citizens, and declares its resolve to pursue the happiness and prosperity of the whole nation and of all its parts, cherishing all the children of the nation equally, and oblivious of the differences carefully fostered by an alien government which have divided a minority from the majority in the past until our arms have brought the opportune moment for the establishment of a permanent national government representative of the whole people of Ireland and elected by the suffrages of all her men and women. The provisional government, hereby constituted, will administer the civil and military affairs of the Republic in trust for the people. We place the cause of the Irish Republic under the protection of the Most High God, whose blessing we invoke upon our arms. And we pray that no one who serves that cause will dishonor it by cowardice, inhumanity, or rapine. In this supreme hour, the Irish nation must, by its valor and discipline, and by the readiness of its children to sacrifice themselves for the common good, prove itself worthy of the august destiny to which it is called. Signed on behalf of the Provisional Government, Thomas J. Clark, Sean Mock Germida, Thomas McDonough, P. H. Pierce, Eamon Kant, James Connolly, Joseph Plunkett.